So another season dawns on us for Opera Omnia. I say another season because this is the redux, the redo. We're going to retry this. A show which I really thought had a lot of promise that never really got off the ground the first time I tried this years ago. But we're going to give it a second shot. And you know what? If I'm going to give this a second shot, I'm going to pick one of my favourite directors to talk about in Ben Wheatley. And I'm going to bring on one of my favourite voices in podcasting. Full motherfucking stop. Um, so I'll formally introduce him after this kind of first intro here. Um, but at this stage, what I want to say is welcome, uh, Mr. Watson. How are you doing, sir? My friend, I, I'm well. And let me just say it honors me to be joining you under the stairs. I'm grateful that you've invited me to take part in this resurrection of sorts of Opera Omnia. I know how much you love this particular director's work that we'll be highlighting. And so I'm extra flattered that you would have the likes of me on to go with uh, go with you throughout uh, his his filmography so super stoked buddy yeah this is going to be a really interesting run of movies it's only six so we'll only be covering six in this first season and the six movies we're covering like really span the gambit and are weirdly um kind of like <laughs> they are if you look at how he does this the first movie and last movie we're going to discuss are are so similar it's it's kind of scary but in between things go everywhere we're going to be covering some incredible cinema that pays homage to gangland thrillers 70s shootouts the mm-hmm. wicker man you know horror comedies yeah. Um, and we're going to be doing G.G. Ballard, which makes me kind of, like, very happy because I, I love his post-apocalyptic writing. But the first question I need to ask you in this small introduction to the show is, before coming on this show to do this and before I got in touch with you, how many of the six Ben Wheatley movies had you seen? Let me see. I had seen Kill List. I had seen Sightseers. But, Duncan, here's the thing, and please don't judge me. Uh, your your old buddy Mr. Watson had been on a lot of the whiskey that night when I saw Sightseers. You know, I don't know if you if you're into the the whiskeys or the bourbon, my friend. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but sometimes I, I forget it. things when I try it. <laughs> so I don't really remember the movie very well, in all honesty. So I had seen Kill List, Sightseers, which when we watch it again or when I watch it again, will initially be probably my first real time watching it. And I did see A Field in England. Ah, right, so you've seen it. his three quote-unquote horror movies then. Yes, yep, those are the ones. And I, and did he not, Duncan, did he not do something in an anthology and it escapes me? I believe it was the ABCs of Death 1 or 2. I believe so, yeah. I think he's done a short as well. We will not be covering that okay. in here, as well as he did an entire two seasons of a TV show in the UK called Ideal, which if you ever get the chance oh. to watch Nightmare Dark like magic on the screen the BBC did a show called Ideal and he did uh, seasons I want to say it was 5 and 6 so like 14 episodes and it is like blackly comedic nightmare feel it's the, it's the weirdest ah, trippiest shit you will ever see you know a viewing with lots of whiskey and bourbon is called a Scottish viewing that's that's its name Scott- that's what we call it over here <laughs> uh, it's just a standard viewing uh, right so you'd seen 3 So, that's interesting. So the next question I have to ask you is, and I'm going to ask this question right at the very end of the season, is if you had to describe Ben Wheatley, the Ben Wheatley you know from the movies you have seen and can remember, if you had to describe Ben Wheatley in three words, what would those three words be? Okay, okay. From what I've seen so far, I would say, hmm, (laughs) Stark came instantly to mind as one Mm -hmm. word. And then black comedic. Yep. I think that's yeah. fair. So I, those, think that's I, guess... I think you've you've you may have nailed this by the way. At the end we might come back and go okay. like that. By the way, my three words on the money. <laughs> Pay me now. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's excellent. That's excellent. So I have uh, do, is that approved? Hmm? Is <laughs> I, I have your approval with the, with those three descriptors? Yeah, I'm, I'm, the thing that I am most interested about is to see if those three stay the same. And the listeners only yes, have, yes. what, six episodes to listen to to find out. But before we get to that, um, we're going to take our first kind of break, which is an informal break, really, because you're going to hear the introduction music and then we're going to get into this. But 
All I have to say is thank you very much for joining me back here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for giving us another another try at the, the, the kind of podcast feats of bringing you another show <laughs> which delves into movie discussions with myself. But it feels great to be back. The redux, the redo, the revamp, uh, the revisit of Opera Omnia. Looking at Ben Wheatley in season one. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Opera Omnia, season one, episode number one, looking at the movies of the great and powerful Ben Wheatley. I'm your host, Duncan McLeish. You probably already know that because you heard a bit of a preamble before we jumped into this episode, but this is your formal introduction. This is the formal part at the beginning of the show where I welcome you back Hopefully you are doing well and you're ready to join me on a journey, a journey that explores the length and breadth of a director's catalogue of work. His artistic output, his opera omnia, if you will. Now, I've chosen Ben Wheatley for season one, mostly because I can't wait to see where we end up with the discussions. Some of his movies have so much conversation that needs demands nay commands discussion and other movies are what you see on the screen is what you get joining me on this very first season i am overjoyed to say that i have managed to pull in someone that i greatly respect from the podcast community he's a voice that i've always looked to with a sense of reason having watched last year a little movie called la place's demon um, and really, really digging it, mm-hmm. I was directed by a listener to go and check out his comments, his words, his thoughts on that movie. And listening to him, I was like, could it be that I may have been born an American and recorded the review? Because it was so <laughs> scarily similar. It was unbelievable. I am honoured to say that joining me in season one, discussing Ben Wheatley, is Mr. Watson from the What Z Party podcast. It's a horror podcast which um, gives you more bang for your buck than any other show out there. Mr. Watson, I know I've already introduced you. I know we've already done formalities, but let's do it again because why the fuck not? How are you doing, sir? Hell yeah. <laughs> Duncan, I'm well. And How are you, buddy? I could not be any happier and excited. I told you just before I hit record <laughs> here that seldom do I get a bit nervous before I record with anyone. But I'll be honest, <laughs> the hands started doing a bit of the shaky shakes. The drink had to be poured. Yes, yes. Um, and I was like, that. I'm going to be recording Mr. Watson. And I got kind of <laughs> excited. The only time, I'll be honest with you, it's only ever happened to me three times in the history of podcast and in the Say the what? other kind of two times before today happened way back when I first started recording like way 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 back I had wow. like three shows that I looked at as being the the kind of the architecture the blueprints of what my show would become essentially they gave me the the confidence and aspirational goals of if I can be half as good as those shows then I'll be a happy guy. And the two times I recorded with, um, one time was with the Skeleton Crew and the second time was with a show called Devour the Podcast. Both times with Jamie J. Sammons, actually. Um, I kind of got a little bit nervous. I was like, I'm going to be doing this. I'm out my depth. Um, I (laughs) kind of felt a little bit of that before I hit the, the, the call button. Um, on this this recording so. <laughs> <laughs> likewise my friend I, like like I also mentioned as well before we hit recording I, I put a little extra bourbon in my coffee uh, a Scottish <laughs> coffee I guess you could say but you know what Duncan before we get properly started here I thought you might get a kick out of something that's been nagging me since we first became friends back in the summer so I first heard about the podcast under the stairs when I was brand new to podcasting back in 2016 and <laughs> buddy I don't quite know how this happened but I somehow 
came to believe that Teapots was a true crime show. Now, again, <laughs> I have no idea where this came from. No clue at all. Don't know. But somehow, to me, the podcast Under the Stairs was this true crime show. And here's the deal. Because of my aversion to true crime, I had never actively sought you out. Now, check it out. Over the years, you and I have been in some of the same Facebook conversations. We have many of the same friends. So finally, last year, when you were a guest on the Who Will Survive Horror podcast with Paul and Marco, good homies of mine, mm-hmm. I was finally like, okay, that Duncan guy rocked the hell out of that Calvair review. I don't think he's a true crime podcaster <laughs> at all. <And> so, <laughs> so, the thing is, I love so, the, like, my, uh, my podcast <laughs> advice is true crime. I am obsessed with true crime podcasts. I okay. will listen... Pretty much, and nowadays I listen to more true crime podcasts than I do horror podcasts, which is what I used to listen sure. to when I, I first started. It's, it's my obsession. I love playing the armchair detective, um, but it, it, it's, fun, it's funny you yeah. see because I was like, I had a show ages ago, which is kind of restarting back up once again this month called Doing the Nasty which looked at the video nasties list and we were on yeah, horror yeah. failure so as a result of that I I still what? check yeah no it's crazy <laughs> I check out shows that are like on horror failure or horror failure adjacent Any, anything that Jason Lloyd is saying you know check this show out I check that show out um, and yeah. I, I'll be honest I'll put my hand up and say I I don't listen to a lot of horror podcasts or a lot of movie commentary podcasts anymore I, I step away from that now because of aforementioned Vice True Crime Podcast but when <laughs> your show The Horror Corridor dropped I remember I, I think I came in about episode 4 and then went back okay. very very quickly listened to the three preceding episodes and what I loved about it is that you have a, a very strong clarity in the way that you view movies. And I like to think that I approach movies similar. I, I have a, a thought of what's going on and I try where possible to articulate it as best as possible. And I might be completely wrong. <laughs> there have been times where most recently I was at a screening of, well, I say most recently, a year and a half ago, I saw Possum play in the UK uh-huh. and the movie finished and the director just happened to be there for our Q&A afterwards and I turned around to my best friend and gave him exactly what I thought was happening in the movie and then the director started talking and through that conversation I realised very very quickly that's not what the director wanted um, at all that's not what his vision was <laughs> couldn't be any different um, but I had a very strong opinion of what that movie was and the, the way I articulated it to my friend and to myself and to the listeners when I did my review is that even if he didn't like intentionally set out to do that there are so many signposts that, that point to that and that's the beauty of good cinema is that Absolutely. me and you can be staring very much like art me and you could be looking at exactly the same painting and have completely different experiences it doesn't mean that either experience is more important or less valid it's the, the ability to sit down and justify your experience through through anecdotal evidence or just through a, a kind of gut feeling. And that was always the thing that I got from you that when I heard Horror Corridor was kind of moving away and maybe kind of taking a, a backseat, <laughs> I, I genuinely got bummed out. <laughs> I was like, no, this is not cool. And then I heard that you were starting up a little show with good friend of myself, Mr. Dave Z. And I was like, this yes. could be really cool. And I'm like, I'm a bit of a junkie for your show. I I, I do like foolishly and greedily gobble up as soon as it drops. I'm like, yeah, this is tomorrow's full work day. And one, because you guys (laughs) really on the the What's the Party uh, horror show, you guys, when I say bang for your buck, you really cram an entire party into into one show. For anyone that might be listening that maybe hasn't checked out that show yet, just just on the table here, lay out the formula of what they can expect yeah. from one of your shows. Sure, ab- absolutely. Well, you know, for, for maybe those listeners who don't know who I am and none of the uh, the Whore Corridor or Watsy of followers who are who who you who don't already listen to your show, you know, I'm Mr. Watson, one half of the Watsy Party Whore Show on the Horphilia Podcasting Network. 
And I'm, you know, I do this with my close buddy, Dave Z of Exploding Heads fame. And what you get from us is a three-act show. In, in act number one, we go over the monthly horror releases. In act number two, we deep dive into a topic of discussion. And then in act three, we give an in-depth, spoiler-free review of a horror film of our choosing. But if you stay for the after party, that's when spoilers are on the table and we go all out. And, you know, it's a fun and cerebral podcast. We've got top-notch audio, high production values. We're very, Dave and I are very proud of the work we're doing on this show. And if I may be so bold, Duncan, uh, you're a film reviewer who takes that very same approach that we try to in that you are working to emphasize the loftier aspects of the horror genre. Even when you review something, you know, relatively mindless, you're always extracting subtext, motifs, Mm -hmm. and overall themes from everything you review and because of this, you've got a listenership that's damn classy, super intelligent, and I think our show fits remarkably well with with that audience and with you, and, you know, we, that's why we fit with each other so well. So, you know, if any of you listeners under the stairs are trying to become one of the party people, because that's what we call our, our listeners, then, you know, join us, uh, Dave Z and me, on the you know at the Watsy Party Horror Show. Celebrate horror with us. We'd be most appreciative. And, you know, that's one thing I'm, I, when, I, when you invited me to be on the show, I was so happy because it's like, man, Duncan is a reviewer after my own heart because you, I try to do that same thing. And I know Dave does where we're looking at the film. And we're trying to extract, you know, mine for gold. We're trying to find those themes, find those, those, those that, that subtext, those, those, those motifs. Like I said, just all that stuff that's bubbling under the surface. And, and shoot, like you said, man, you know, two people can approach a work of art and get different things from it. And sometimes what's cool about film is you can get this sort of universal template at work where, sure, okay, here's one thing the director was going for as opposed to maybe something else, but sometimes when you have those universal templates, anybody can walk up to them and sort of put themselves into it and fill in those blanks with their own, I don't want to say baggage because that has some negative connotation, but fill it with their own their their own mind and their own self and their own struggles and their own joys. And, man, film brings people together like that, and it has with us, you, you, and, you and me, man, so I'm super stoked about that. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. I can't recommend your show enough, honestly. You need you. to go and check it out. Like, it, it is a rewarding experience on so many levels. And the thing about it as well, and I, I, I appreciate absolutely everything you said about how I approach cinema and whatnot, but mm-hmm. specifically when it comes to the conversations that you and Dave have, at, at times I love the, and it's never really conflict, but I love the the reviews where you you guys come in on completely different sides of the aisle but there's a respect to the other person's opinion and there are plenty of um, places on the internet that people can go to just hear people say it's not a good movie and not you know you know, it's a shit movie. Well, why? Because it's a shit movie. Um, or you know, yeah. it's a shit movie because it's not <laughs> scary. You know, are these just like blanket terms which don't give you any detail as to why someone likes, dislikes, understands, doesn't understand, appreciates, or, or doesn't quite grasp what a filmmaker is trying to do? I've always said that I am I'm not like a film student. I've never made a movie and all credit to someone out there that goes through the the kind of artistic minefield it's like walking through a minefield juggling grenades trying to make a movie and trying to get it out there for an audience and even when you went through that trauma there is absolutely no guarantee that the the viewers that watch that movie will will enjoy what you've done and to me it's 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 such a nerve-wracking experience that i've never had to put myself through so even if I dislike a movie I always have that caveat at the end where I say you know I, I really don't like this movie but I don't want to live in a world where someone creates something that no one appreciates and I hope that movie lands with someone out there and listening to your show I know exactly that you guys are cut from the same cloth and that makes me very happy but when it comes to uh. Ben Wheatley my friend we could be we Ooh. could be at a position here that at the very end of this season, we could have two lists. Because in Opera Omnia, when we finish, we sit down and say, right, here are our favourite to least favourite. We order out the movies we've seen. We could be in a position that we get to the very end with two lists that look absolutely nothing alike. But at the same time, yes. 
be in a position where we're like, I can see why you picked that and I can see why that resonated more with you and Wheatley's got such a British voice as well that I wonder if that divide between between not only continents but kind of cultural experiences and upbringings will make us appreciate mm-hmm. the movies in completely different ways and that to me is what is going to make season one really, really exciting. Oh, well, well said, buddy. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Nice. Right, so we're going to talk about his first movie. We're going to take a short break for people to hear the trailer for it. But Ben Wheatley breaks on at the scene after doing, like, short movies, a bit of kind of advertising, doing adverts and stuff, and working on a show that I mentioned earlier on, Ideal for the BBC. And he does this really kind of very quick, this is an eight-day shoot, it costs less than $30,000 to bring together, and it's critically really well-received on the festival circuit. He does this little movie called Dim Terrace, which is a kind of dark comedic drama um, set in the UK, with a cast which the main two men in this movie are actually real life father and son but playing father and son on the screen. Down Terrace came out in 2009. You're going to hear the trailer for it right now. When we come back myself and Mr Watson are going to get an opportunity to not only get a chance to chat about Wheatley's first movie but I would say maybe his most raw movie out there and um, we'll be able to give more context to that the further we go along but this one is belts bootstraps and uh, and everything in between so you're going to hear the trailer for Dim Terrace when we return we're discussing that movie and we're doing it right after this hey big bill can't keep a good man down can they just tell me what's going on in there. This is disappointing. <laughs> Tough four months for you boys, I'd imagine. No, I just thought I'd come and put your mind at rest and uh, everything's running smoothly. Until we strike some. You put on a bit of weight on you. For God's sake, Bill, she's. You're going to be a granddad, Bill. I'm never going to hear the end of this. I don't think your dad is the biggest problem oh, here. What's the point of you being on the inside when you don't help us out, Dave? Well, I'm only a counsellor, Bill. So have you any idea where all this has come from? The police have got this document. I told you, it's like a family tree. What brings you all the way down from London, John? General vibe of uh, confusion and carnage coming from your end. What are we going to do then, Bill? We're going to find out who's behind all this. Garvey. I don't trust him. Never did. Was it you? What? To Garvey. 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 Do me a favour for a second, Garvey. Yeah. Hold this up. You're only as good as the people you're with. Happy families. Yeah. Happy families. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. I don't want to do any of this anymore. I just want to be a normal dad. Tough decisions have to be made. It's not the decisions that are tough, Bill. It's the actions. I can't talk to you anymore. You just confuse me. Do you love me? I love you. I'm a friend of your son's. And welcome back. So you just heard the trailer for Down Terrace from 2009. Uh, it was co-written by Ben Wheatley and Robin Hill, who also stars in this movie. It's directed by Ben Wheatley. The cast in this one, Robin Hill, Robert Hill, uh, Julia Deakin, David Schall, Kerry Peacock, Tony Way, Mark Kempner, Michael Smiley, who will be a name that will appear again, again and again. Uh, Gareth Tunley is in this movie. Gareth Tunley directed a movie called The Ghoul that I mentioned way, way back at the beginning of this episode. So Tunley is is the guy behind that. Um, Callie Peacock and some other folks. The synopsis for this one, short and sweet on IMDb, is a crime family looks to unmask the police informant in their midst who 
threatens to take down their business. This was a first time watch for you Mr Watson. I remember this movie way back in the day. I caught this one right after Kill List because I was like who is this guy? This Ben Wheatley oh. that has made a movie that yeah. blew my fucking mind. Spoilers for the next episode but it really did. Ooh. I need to check to see what right. he did before and then I sat down and watched him <laughs> Terrace and went holy shit. <laughs> this is this is a dark little <laughs> a dark little paranoia fueled nightmare. Um, so this is the first time you watched this. Mm-hmm. Coming into this one, having seen the kind of Wheatley horror movies, and before we talk about the, the actual movie itself, were you surprised by how non-horror genre this movie was? Did, did you did you know that you come from this sort of background? I, I did not, my friend. I didn't realize how that this was just a, a straight up, you know, kind of no frills, no gimmicks crime thriller i guess mm-hmm. you could say and crime thriller drama and so kind of see and i i rather liked that it wasn't horror so i could see him in a different context and see kind of what wheatley was about especially here in 2009 with down terrace and just seeing kind of where he comes from because yeah kill list which was the first movie i saw of his is a very different beast than this but the same in many ways and so it's 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 interesting to see now this progression from this point to Kill List, it makes some sense. Yeah, now. I think the thing about Wheatley specifically, and when you watch his stuff, and we'll, we'll certainly we're going to touch on these specific points the further we get into his catalogue, is he's always had this. Uh, the thing about his movies is there's always at least one scene in all of his movies where it, it gets uncomfortably tense to watch what's happening and whether that's he has designed something out and out horrific so you're watching it and you you can't you're wincing because you don't want to see what's going to happen to the characters or if it's a tone and atmosphere that's weirdly grounded in a real life situation like the next episode when we talk about kill list very early on in that movie there's a kind of a dinner based interaction where a couple are shouting at each other and you are very conscious that you're watching <laughs> like a, a married couple argue and you just really want to be anywhere <laughs> else rather than witness this. Like you want the couch yes. to kind of swallow you so you don't have to watch what's happening. <laughs> Dim Terrace, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Terrace, a lot of the time is is like that. It's It's got a weird grounded realism in the way the, the kind of family mm-hmm. interacts. Um Albeit the the, the kind of totally. the scenario that they put in is a, a scenario that unless you're a gangland leader, Mister Watson, and I, I don't want to speak for you, <laughs> it's something I can't really relate to. But the arguments <laughs> with family members over you know your choice of partner and things, yeah. it's like you like most most people can relate to that. You know, you you try to do the right thing, or you've you brought a girl home, and your parents are just obnoxious <laughs> you're oh, yeah. embarrassed by them like I, I think it's like those sort of things which is the real world things at times that I think uh, like let you drop your guard down in a weekly movie um, and you start to kind of yeah. forget you're watching something which in the case of this one has like a level of, of crime in the background and as a result of that when those moments happen again you kind of get that slap in the face um, of, of realism and reality of the story where you're like oh that's right all oh, the criminals you know um, it's, it's a way it's a, a really interesting technique to, to disarm you and he, I think he uses it really really well here because you don't have this movie has nothing to hide behind it doesn't have a budget it doesn't have big named actors um, it doesn't have you know CGI <laughs> or anything yeah. like that this movie <laughs> kind of lives and dies by the sword. It's stripped back in such a way that you can see the flaws and if things don't work the way they need to on a fundamental level, just the basics, if they don't work right, this movie kind of falls apart and it's it's one of these gambles that you have where you are stuck with characters generally that are all bad there's not a nice yep. character in here but you feel yourself drawn to maybe at times feel warmth for certain characters the mother in particular in here 
who for the majority of the movie you're kind of like how is she putting up with this and right, right she may say some things <laughs> but then there's a certain scene where she does a particular thing that we'll get to and then you're oh, like yeah. oh you might be the worst one out of the lot exactly <laughs> like, you might be the worst you might be the worst person here Dude, um, <laughs> Duncan, you are saying everything in my brain about this. I can tell that <laughs> at least with this movie right here, we are on remarkably similar trajectories as far as our thoughts just on how it's presented and everything. Because, you know, those first scenes of Bill and Carl, you know, arriving home in Down Terrace are just like you said, they're interested. You know, they're interesting in that we're getting this private glimpse into the lives of, you know, what appears at first to be this close-knit family, you know, they're joking with one another, wrestling around, having drinks, smoking, and it's got this almost awkward brand of verisimilitude to it that makes it feel authentic, you know? You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. you, you said it, and to that point, a lot of this movie feels like something we're not supposed to be seeing because it doesn't have that cinematic varnish to it. Like you said, there's nothing to hide behind. You know, it, that that choreographed and stylized presentation, there's none of that here. Like, it's uh, Duncan, have you ever seen a fist a fist fight in real life versus one you see yes. in an action movie. Like not, not to be terribly vague here, but that's what I had going through my head as I watched this movie the other night, man. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's that thing as well where you get a feeling that like, see when you watch something like the office, I don't know if you've ever seen oh, yeah. the office, there's that kind of uncomfortable yes. viewing experience where you feel like you are watching, like you like you say, you're you're in you're in on a conversation you probably shouldn't be in on. But also at times you feel like when you're watching it that there is a a realism in the way that people talk. The way that people talk in movies is flawless. No one stammers over a word they're trying to say unless that mm-hmm. character is supposed to have a stammer. Um, but in real life, when people talk, they don't talk like perfect like no one talks perfect all the time it's impossible yep. as a podcaster i can tell you that's the truth <laughs> like oh, you know, yeah. at times <laughs> i will listen back and i'll go that that word doesn't mean what i said <laughs> like, yeah, and as a result that's it thank god for editing silly. oh yeah you, <laughs> it's just gonna happen but dim terrace is full of that where i feel like wheatley's just running the camera and just saying, right, you are unhappy with him. He's unhappy with you. Uh, this is roughly the talking points that you have to go at now, argue. And the fact that you have the two central characters being like a real life father and son, yes. I think adds to that. There's a, a, mm-hmm. a kind of familial tension, which which is really uncomfortable to watch, but instantly draws me in. They make their way back to Down Terrace after a kind of fairly short stint in prison. And they have ended up there because they believe that someone within their organisation is an informant. And their organisation is, like, this is not, like, this is not Casino or Goodfellas here, right? You know what I mean? This is not, like, flashy, you know, this guy's going to get whacked. You know, it's none of that. This is, like, it's a, a council estate. It's, you know, it's state-run housing. It's, you know, everything's very kind of unorganised in a way which makes I mean the, the conversations early on in this movie where you know the, the father is sitting down and saying listen I could have been you know Bill is like I, you know, I could have been one of these guys that ran everything I could have been at the top of the tree but I got into the wrong thing at the wrong time and started doing the wrong thing and as a result of that I'm you know I'm at this mid-level and I'm going to be in this middle but this is my territory and I'm going to Guard it. This is your like almost your birthright here, and you need to focus on what's important here. And like Carol is this volatile person straight away that needs to be. He's got severe anger issues. Oh yeah. And like like there's a, there's a great scene early on where he is trying to find something in his bedroom, and you <laughs> the letters. just see him screaming for his mother. Man, like. you know it's just like fucking losing it only two seconds later find the thing that he wants and everything's diffused back to normal it's you know you have these two like Bill is a very on surface anyway very calm calculating if not incredibly paranoid character and Carol is equally paranoid but viciously kind of volatile in his temper and you have these two characters who really on paper out with the blood that they share 
are not alike at all. Trying to bring things back in and make things work. And Carol's kind of got one foot out the door and Bill is very quickly, like, he's the guy, what's interesting about this one is, um, when we're talking about this movie, early on, they get an idea of who they think might be the informant, who is this friend of the family, who just seems before, um, Bill is talking about how he was best friends with this guy's dad, and he was the best yep. of us, and his son is basically saying, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't have it in me to be, you know, <laughs> Violent. I wish I could. I wish I could be like a guy that could seek vengeance because I think my dad, you know, was murdered. And I think, I, but I don't have that in me. Is that does that make me a bad person? And Bill's like, no, 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 that's fine. In the back of Bill's head, he thinks, right, he's the informant. And we get this scene shortly afterwards where they bring in a character played by uh, Michael Smiley, who, like I say, is going to appear in Kill List. He's going to appear in, I think he's in Free Fire. He's certainly in um, A Field in England. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a a great actor, great Irish kind of... I think in real life he's a comedian, which is hilarious because he always plays the... the (laughs) nastiest piece of shit character. Yeah, he he was Pringle, right? Yeah, yeah, he's Pringle, yeah. And, okay, um, yeah. Pringle's like the, the kind of, uh, I'm trying to get the, the right term for it, is the, the bag man um, yeah. for, for their group. <laughs> he, he, will, he will take people out, he'll kill them, he'll do what needs to be done. And we get this awkward standoff where the guy basically locks himself in the toilet. They're like, he's the <laughs> Garvey, yeah. He locks himself in, his, in this toilet. But the conversation that happens later on is between Bill and Karen. Bill's like, listen, I know how to read people and I can tell you right now, he's not the snitch. He can't be the snitch because I saw the way he acted. You know, I've spoken to him. He's not your guy. And Carol is on the other end of that and takes matters into his own hands, kills the guy. And he's seen which, I love how it plays out because you know something bad's going to happen. You just don't know when it's, you don't know when it's going to happen. And it happens at the point where you don't expect it to happen. Whereas, like, you're going to give me a hand with something, I need you to hold this sheet of plastic. Plastic, yeah. Some decorating. And at, at that point, you're like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know how this plays out. And, he, you know, he, he kills him, but he doesn't tell his dad, which I think, in some level, he's like that. I don't tell my dad. My dad doesn't have to carry that stress. All that does is make Bill more paranoid about what's happening in his organization. So, it's like every step to try and clean house here creates it's like a hydra every time we cut a head off here a new head grows in its place with another problem and and i kind of love that aspect of it because bill operates in ways to try and fix things carol tries to operate ways to fix things and the mother uh, maggie who's brilliantly played by julia deacon she tries to do things to clear house her way as well. And in every single case, all it does is create a further issue, further paranoia and further troubles down the line. It's this really interesting kind of look at... It makes you wonder if this organisation, and these guys never went to prison, if this organisation would ever have longevity when it came to succession. Because oh, Carol yeah. never looks at any point, and weirdly enough, Bill's, Bill and Maggie start to realise that towards the end. Carol isn't, you know, the, the pretender to the throne. He's never going to be the guy to hand things off to. to but, but to be honest, if you look around the organisation, no one is as well. And Bill and Maggie sit down and have this conversation where Maggie, the mother... Basically says, you know, um, you know, how, you know, what do you think? And Bill says, I really wish we could just go back to a time that it was just me and you. And that's you hear yep. that conversation, you're like, oh my god! And then within five minutes, someone tries to kill Carl in an underpass <laughs> in the yep, UK, yep. and you're like, did he just try and have his son killed? But then I'm thinking, or did Ma- did Maggie try and have it? Like, that's the beauty of the, the movie, is you never really know who is behind the pulling of the trigger out with yes. the ones that you see directly. So where Pringle's hit is, you know, demanded and he dies in a way which feels his mother's death is, like, 
Oh. oh, horrific, but also hilarious. I don't know about you, but I'm a. Oh, I was like, laughing. I watch videos of people walking into doors and laughing. Um, <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> my bad man is what I'm saying, Watson. It's okay. Um, I'm a bad, bad man. And when he, no. his mother gets flung in front of a car, I about wet myself laughing. Yeah, he just put Uncle Eric, because, yeah, Uncle Eric is the one, Maggie's brother, who is, you know, sort of dispatched to go take out, you know, various people, because. Yeah, once we have the, the, the murder and then subsequent disappearance of Garvey, you know, this leaves, mm-hmm. you know, Bill doesn't know this, Maggie doesn't know this, only Carl does. And like you said, it just makes everything worse because then, you know, okay, we well, Pringle knew about this, so we got to off him. And okay, well, shoot, well, off his mother too, leave his son an orphan. And then, uh, yep. <laughs> then, then we get to, oh, well, I guess we got to take out Uncle Eric as well. And so it's just like, whoa, I mean, uh, but you know what struck me about this last act of the film you know, is that we we know that Carl knows that his father mm-hmm. was making deals with the police, which is a scene we find out kind of when their lawyer Dave is on his deathbed. He kind of spills the mm-hmm. beans a little in that regard, and so we know that Carl knows that that his dad was you know making deals with the police. He suspects that his mother and father tried to have him killed, which, like you said, is something I'm not certain of. You know, could it be the people from London? You know, who? Who is behind it? But he also suspects that they were responsible for Pringles and Eric's death. And I'll tell you what, man, those co- those confrontation scenes are true to life when you're dealing with liars. Like when Carl's mm-hmm. yelling at his father just to tell him, you know, what's going on. It's so spot on in that liars will deceive you until the very end. Even when all the chips are down, everyone knows that it's all bullshit. These types of people will still light, lie right to your face and, and gaslight you. You know, they'll make you feel like, you're the one with the problem. You know, I've, I've seen it over and over in real life. And even though we're not meant to know, I don't think, unless you can answer that for me later, but even though we're not meant to know who exactly sent that hitman to kill Carl there in the tunnel, uh, we, we still know that Carl's parents are involved in at least some of the carnage going on. And the fact that they're not leveling with him and just telling him is frustrating, but it's how it is, man. And so, you know, so what do you think about that, Duncan? Because we know that the, the gangster from London shows up earlier and, you know, shows up to Down Terrace because our our characters are drawing a little too much attention to themselves. Do you feel like the man who attacked Carl was one of the London people or someone sent by his own family? Or is it meant to be open for interpretation? What do you think, buddy? I, I'm, I'm on the, can, the... I've seen this movie three times and mm-hmm. I always feel that the next time I watch it, I'm going to come away with an answer that I can, you know, okay. positively back <laughs> up. And I, I never do, even on this watch, which I've finished like literally 10 minutes before we started recording, I was like, I'm going to watch it fresh and however I feel about that particular ending is how it will be in my brain recorded forever and that as a result I need to, I need to, I need yeah. to double down on it. The beauty of it is that the first time I watched it, I thought his dad was behind it, specifically mm-hmm. because we kind of gather that his dad's a bit of an informant and... You know, his dad is the one that basically says, you know, I, I want to go back to a time where, you know, it was just me and you, Maggie. And I'm like, that. oh, right, so that's the, the precursor to what's happening. But then the second time I watched it, I was like, well, <laughs> Maggie offs her brother, you know, yeah. her brother-in-law, the Eric, that, you know, <laughs> he, he, like, in the most vicious way, poisons him, you know what I mean? You don't, yeah. like, it's a, a very cold and calculated way of doing things because of the plan and the preparation in fact you have to watch the person die in front of you and the conversation she has with the guy from London as well when they're going where you start to realise that maybe Maggie's actually the power player because oh, yeah. like this guy goes up and chews right through Bill you know he's, he and his son are fuck ups and they, they can't keep their house in order and everything's going pear shaped and it's not all about money it's about respect and you know and order and all the rest and then when he goes down to speak to Maggie on the way out there's this weird kind of respect and tension between those two characters where I'm like that well mm-hmm. Maggie might be like no one really acts in this movie out with the, the, the kind of death of, of Garvey early on in the movie no one really acts without Maggie's opinion and the people are very quick to ask Maggie what she thinks in this movie and I was like well Maggie's the kingpin right she's the she's the wow. power behind the man you know what I mean so that's she is the, the kingmaker so to speak so maybe it's Maggie huh. that sets out to do it but then I, 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 I think the thing about this is that I would love to think that Wheatley deliberately left it 
in a way where you're never going to be really 100% satisfied with any answer because ultimately you yeah. end up in the position that Carol ends up at the end of this movie. If it fits and it's convenient in that moment, I will act. But if I think about it too much, then... It's, it's why he's so conflicted with pulling the trigger at the end of this movie. Is, yeah, you know, he what th- a scene. Th- the right thing he thinks to do is kill his dad because his dad and his mum are trying to kill him, right? So, like, I'll take out both of them and that's it. But you can see the conflict in him with with him crying. And I think that conflict is that this is just convenient to the circumstances in just now and might not be the right answer. And I, I like to think that that's a deliberate choice by Wheatley, albeit not a definitive answer for the viewer. You know, well said, too, because the this whole every kill, every murder in this is a murder kind of of convenience. Nothing that is based necessarily on concrete answers for anything. And check this out. What do you think of this? I, I'm not saying this is what I think, but in the end, I was even left wondering if Valda could be the one behind certain things. You know, the movie does not, mm-hmm. as you said, it doesn't come right out and tell you that. But, in you know, and in fact, this story is so fascinating in that, you know, no one character seems to know everything but the deal here is that earlier in the film bill suspected valda was possibly responsible for their incarceration and here at the end you know we got valda and carl killing off his parents and does she convince him to do it or i i or did they just did they talk it out between them i i don't remember what led to that what's what's really interesting about is you don't see that i think that's why it it works like the the end there's to me like down terrace plays out strangely like a kind of very low budget kind of British um, kind of state state owned housing estate version of Reservoir Dogs. Okay, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that the, the 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 deceit and betrayal all the way to the very end is is left in such a way where. You are given hints all the way through this movie on certain characters. Like, there's a throwaway conversation that Garvey has with Carol where he basically says, oh, yeah, I know Valda. Valda was, you know, close with my brother who's in prison. Mm -hmm. And she's pen friends with a lot of people that end up in prison. And I'm like, does that mean she's the grass? Because everyone she seems to be friendly with ends up in prison and it's this throwaway conversation which you know it, it makes you it, it does make you wonder where things stand it's also weird that a movie like this would have i always throw out issues with certain movies which give me no likable characters characters that you know i that are all reprehensible Dim sure. Terrace, every character is reprehensible. The weird thing about it is, as the movie goes along, you feel yourself gravitated. You have alliances, many alliances between a character and you, the audience member, which will be broken and renewed and changed and new allegiances all the way through the viewing of the movie. And everyone at one point or another tries to make a power play and it's always subtle. It could be Eric basically saying to Bill after taking care of the Pringle and Pringle's mother incident where he's like that, listen, I I think someone needs to run your club. Remember, I used to run that club a while ago. And Bill's like, yeah, well, I'm not too sure. And Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) He's kind of trying to strong arm him a lot of ways by saying, you know, well, I've you know, I've killed for you, you know what I mean? So do the right thing. But he's not forcefully doing it. And then not long after that, Eric kind of meets his doom. Um, Pringle, Pringle, like, uh, unable to do the one thing they've asked him to do and being the sort of character he is. He's a great, like, he's a wonderfully bizarre character. And that he it. comes in full, full of love for his kid then regales Bill with a story about how his child is in nursery and basically as a hooligan, he's trying to, trying to you know, <laughs> bashes another kid with a xylophone and <laughs> yeah. tries to fist fight him. And then in the same breath, you know, goes off at Carol for playing with his son, but blowing him kisses and stuff. Yeah. As if that's, you know, like the, not, not the sort of thing to do his kid, even though his kid is giggling and having fun and doing what kids do when you blow raspberries at them and stuff. Um, he's this wonderfully weird kind of complex mouthpiece of a character because he never you you never get the impression that he is a man of action on the things he says he talks a very strong game but all that's 
stopping him getting a hold of Garvey is a door. Which, right, granted, Bill says don't break the door, but yeah, it's Victorian, he yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, 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 he kind of closes up and leaves pretty quick. Yeah, who, so who brings it, Duncan? It, who brings the whole their kids to a hit? just isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> no, what totally. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And I love the end of this movie is set up in such a way where the you, you kind of have a feeling that Bill is going to be off by Carol. But the yeah. first time I watched it, I did not suspect anything bad happening to Maggie at all. And right. when you, she opens the car and sees the, the plastic on the seat, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What's going to go on here? And she dies a very, very, very fucking vicious death. I mean, the dad gets two shots and he's dead because, you know, bullets. Maggie gets stabbed multiple times. Oh, yeah. Um, and once again, it's the idea where I, I kind of love this. The guys in this movie kill in such a way where it's quick and done, right? The women in this movie kill in such a way where it's slow and painful. Um, yeah. It's this wow. idea that Valda is almost going to become the the new kingmaker. She is as vicious, as resolute, and willing to kill in a very, very terrible and painful way is Maggie and she has become the very same thing the the conversation she has with Carol is very similar to the conversations that Maggie has with Bill it's this idea that Carol has almost sought out a kind of mother figure as his his, his wife and I, I love that as well it's, it's history is repeating itself again it's two people yes. that will ultimately become the head of this crime family who are going in with exactly the same baggage no problems have been Resolved. The 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 snake has ate its tail on this one, and we're we're essentially going to be back to exactly where we were before, because they can't escape that life. London's not going to let them escape that life. So the story goes on and on. I I I, I love the aspect of it. It is very simple. The door is left open. Um, you know, there's no there's no end to this movie, so to speak. It's just. Right, let's continue on. And interspersed in this one, you have these beautiful scenes of kind of folk music, Irish folk music, being played yeah. as a way to weirdly humanise what's happening on the screen. And they're, they're handled really well. It's a, it's a surprisingly well put together, not only competent, I think, is maybe a word that doesn't do justice, but well-constructed, crafted and executed movie which relies on essentially 90% of this movie is set in one location um, with a sparse cast and is dealing with crime organisations which when we think of we think in bigger scope we think nightclubs and all the rest which these characters talk about but the budget isn't there for it so everything is done anecdotally I think just adds to this is how you do a movie this is how you do a movie when you've got no money Yes, Duncan, are you small, reading my you notes? Control the pieces you can do, and that's what you do. <laughs> Duncan, are you reading my notes? <laughs> because I have written, uh, I said I, a bullet point that says history is repeating itself, and then I have a little, just a, a little bullet point here as well that you know that yes, that we have this crime family interacting in this singular setting, you know, this old house. And even as we're being taken through Bill's suspicions of this person or that person, even as the violence, you know, as things start to build up toward the violence to come, you know, I, I found myself struck by, you know, once again, like I said earlier, by Wheatley's emphasis on showing us the day to day mundane aspects of, you know, sides of all this. And, you know, like like you just said, this is also in my notes here. Much of the time, these gangster crime films come with a certain what would the words be like urban glamour to them? But with Down Terrace, we're yeah. not out at their club. We're not spending time out and about in the streets or in nice cars with guns and drugs. You know, these people are in their comfy clothes around the house talking it out and sometimes killing people. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. We've got, you know, I know that you like 2019's Headhunter and I'll bet mm. that you enjoyed that movie for at least one of the reasons why I guess you like and appreciate Down Terrace. And it's the idea of getting the most out of a small budget minimalist filmmaking approach. Now, does that sound about right? Yeah, it's exactly why I like that movie. I yeah. I think the hardest thing to do nowadays is deliver a captivating piece of cinema with no money. 
It's, yeah. it's why I, I remember when the battery came out like a good few years ago now oh, and watching yeah. that movie and then hearing how much that movie cost and my jaw literally being on the ground because I mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that a movie like you, when you cannot you know do large set pieces and grand scope and uh, you know and multiple characters and all the rest when you don't have that your movie needs to be pretty much perfect in every other aspect pacing dialogue delivery effects all that has to be shit hot because if it isn't it you know it stands out very 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 quickly and down terrace is is a great example of of how you how you just do that how you make a, a story which if hollywood makes this movie it's on a grand scale how you make an insular version of this one but retain the same emotional roller coaster as an audience member that you would watch in, like I said before, like something like Donnie Brasco, uh, where you're, you're like, well, who's the informant? Who's the snitch? You know, is, is there someone else involved? Like, try to work out mm-hmm. who's playing who in this movie. Um, I, I think is, is is key to it, and the, the reveals the beauty of Down Terrace is upon subsequent viewings. Like I say, I don't necessarily get more out of the movie out with when it comes down to that who I think ordered the hit <laughs> yeah. at the end it, it, I, I still am in a position where I don't feel 100% sure and I think maybe the next view I'll get it and it's a surprisingly <laughs> easily revisiting experience that like you can sit down and just go back through it multiple times and yeah. to me it shows a lot of what we're going to weirdly it's not a full Rosetta Stone for Wheatley but a lot of the a lot of the ideas of kind of family interaction, uncomfortable conversations, specifically ones that are with volatile characters carrying a lot of baggage, weird, like, kind of black comedic set pieces. Yeah. Are, are the staple of Wheatley all the way through. Dude, totally. And I, I love that you're of the same mind as I am because, like I said, this was my first watch. And so, just like you, and I'm glad you're saying this, that when the film ends, my friend, I, I'm not, I'm still not sure, you know, who ratted out Bill and Carl. I'm not sure if Valda is really carrying Carl's child. I'm not sure who the hitman was who he tried to kill Carl, in, you know, under, you know, in that tunnel. You know, to quote the great Limp Biscuit, you know, it's a lot of he said, she said bullshit. And the fact that so much death comes of that makes me want to break stuff because it's such a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dude, sorry like about the Limp Bizkit there. You have literally went up about 17 million things in my estimation yes. when you're using the Limp Bizkit. Um, I, get a lot, I get a lot of shit for my uh, unabashed love of the man they call Fred Durst. Um, oh, yeah. so, and I'm not ashamed. I will, I, will, I will die on that cross. Apparently not I, alone, I love which it. makes me happy. <laughs> I so, love it, dude. Yeah, like, but isn't that, like, isn't that what... And I feel audiences are on some level spoiled with everything as a neat package at the end of a movie. Yeah. Like everyone's everyone's motivations are completely explained. Everything like nothing drives me more to drink, uh, which doesn't take a lot, because once again, Scottish. Um <laughs> yeah. but nothing drives me more to drink than this idea that the audience can't work something out for themselves or a kind of unfinished question is going to make someone dislike a movie. I, I think mm-hmm. on some level, the fear of not trusting an audience to trust you as a filmmaker to deliver a story is 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 one of the, the, the things that I think lets down a lot of a lot of cinema. This idea that, you know, true to life and any life experience, nothing is ever a neat bow. Nothing is ever really wrapped up fully to complete satisfaction. The interactions we have with people on a day-to-day basis in our lives, or maybe over the years, never really end up tied up in a neat bow. There's always a question there or, you know, an afterthought of someone's motivation. Why did they say this? Why did they act that way? Maybe they're hiding something. Maybe they've told me something as a ruse. That I love when movies play with these ideas and Down Terrace is a great example of, like you see at the end of this one, if anything, there's more questions. Um, yeah. Then there, then there are answers specifically around character motivation because there are plenty of clues all the way through this movie of duality on where the characters' motivations are coming from. Are they from a genuine perspective or are they from a wholly selfish perspective? And maybe the ground for being genuine and selfish are the same at times, but the, there could be disparity 
and I, I love that experience. I think it does it does that really, really, really well. Um, which which kind of brings us like I think comfortably into kind of summing up this movie overall. Yeah. I think like Down Terrace in terms of my final statement for the movie. Down Terrace is a movie which you look at the poster, you look at the trailer, and if you've seen Wheatley's more, I would say, commercially successful efforts, that you would look at and say, well, this feels like slumming it. This feels like this guy is, you know, this feels like a really early out and I don't want to check out. Because you are used to the the, the uber dark, the esoteric, or the... The, the kind of weirdly quirky comedic aspects of a Wheatley production post Down Terrace. But Down Terrace is the building blocks. It's a lot of the ideas. It shares a lot of the weird DNA of, of what it's going to do later on. It's grounded with some pretty phenomenal performances, specifically um, the, the combination of The Hills, The Father and Son, who are great in this one. But even watching like Michael Smiley pop up which like I said before we're going to see a lot through Wheatley's work but uh, Julia Deacon as Maggie is is great you have some great performances here even when certain characters show up and are like um, not <laughs> they, they put on one face but you get to see the real person throughout the movie and that's maybe not the foot that they put forward I, I love those aspects about it it's a nice quick top little bit of cinema which at times is bizarrely funny and towards the end of the movie weirdly tragic but also very poignant I think it's a, it's a as first movies go this movie is is surprisingly strong um, and surprisingly singular of focus in a way which makes me very happy and when you see when we move throughout these the direction that Wheatley is going to start taking like Down Terrace is the great kind of is the great first chapter of a book, which is going to take you in some weird twists and turns through genres, which will will challenge you, and uh, throw you and excite you. But Down Terrace is is no is no movie to skip over when talking about Ben Wheatley. If anything, it's a movie which you should sit down and watch, even if you're kind of a connoisseur of the guy's work without seeing everything. Down Terrace is an experience when you watch it, you will start to realise that the building blocks of this guy's body of work, the foundations are all here and they're all secure and he can take the the, the critical acclaim that he got because this movie was very well received and start to take it in directions which are infinitely darker and infinitely more sinister than they are in Down Terrace. Um, it's a it's a great first movie, it really, really is, and mm. that's all I have to say about that, Mister Watson. Final thoughts on Down Terrace, my my friend. We are of the same mind on this. <laughs> it's it's. I swear you're looking at my notes. <laughs> You've said some things that are in my bullet points, but you know, uh, Wheatley's prosaic approach to this murderous gangster story is fascinating to me, and like you said earlier, his decision to leave so much up to the viewer makes room for a lot of conversation which we've just had folks and i've got to hand it to him for doing this much with such a small budget because that's what this is a low-cost film with very little going on in the way of production but quite a lot going on narratively like honestly okay you know the strings do show a bit and i don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that this is wheatley's first feature film but when you've got a character and story driven plot like this at work you don't need to have this go big or go home attitude because the script really does speak for itself. And uh, I absolutely recommend this film, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to blow any minds here, but so far out of all the Wheatley films that we've covered here on Opera Omnia, uh, this uh, this is my favorite one. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of this. What we're going to do is, instead of scoring these movies, which is the obvious approach, um, what we're going to do is we're going to do almost like a like a, something that's near and dear to my heart, right? Uh, is take the Highlander approach to this. That There can be only love one at the top. Um, so at the end of every episode, we're going to have a discussion um, which is going to lean into, is this currently the best movie 
that Ben Wheatley has done. And at times we will agree. Uh, at times mm-hmm. we will disagree, no doubt. Um, but yeah, as it stands just now, at the top of the pile, one movie in. That's <laughs> inevitable. But Down Terrace is the best Ben Wheatley movie. It will be interesting <laughs> to see next month when we return if uh, his follow-up, which is less than two years later, a little movie called Kill List, which I cannot recommend. Do these movies with us, guys. Please go and check them out. If you've never seen Kill List before, strap yourselves in. And what I will say is Kill List is a two-watch minimum, right? Because I've Mm. seen Kill List easily five times and every, every single watch... I notice something else in the background or characters, actions, or view completely different. It is an experience that rewards multiple viewings. Um, but that's where we'll be going next is Kill List with uh, after the first episode, Dim Terrace being at the top. Now, Mr. Watson, I cannot stress enough how much fun I've had chatting about this movie. Like we said ah. at the start here, you have a phenomenal podcast. Once again, can't recommend that enough. But just remind the listeners out there, right after this episode, where should they be checking that show out? Yes, well, we I'm, I'm on the Horophilia Network of Podcasts, and it is the Watsy Party Horror Show with my good buddy Dave Z of Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. And yeah, it's our three act show. We kick ass. We take names over there. We we get stupid. We get funny. We talk lofty themes and all that stuff. I think I think uh, it, look, if, if you're a listener under the stairs, you might want to pop over to the party and have a good time with us, because let me just tell you something. The party, the party goes under the stairs as well. And and so, yeah, so you don't you don't got to You don't got to come out. You can stand there and we'll party there. But yeah, <laughs> no. I, and, and also, I do got to say in Duncan, uh, uh, you, you might you might enjoy this. My. Uh, there will be a couple episodes of my old solo cast, Horror Corridor, coming out pretty soon. I've got a, a one on French horror that I'm, I've am i got n- like 90% done. I just need to finish up some skits and I'm bringing my son on for a, my 16-year-old son on for a review. And so, you know, that one's taking a little more time because there's a lot of production that goes into that. But other than that, yeah, some Horror Corridor will be uh, finding its way to to uh, your your ears pretty soon, folks. So yeah, that, that's where you can hear me, the Watsy Party Horror Show and Horror Corridor on the Horphilia Podcasting Network. Yeah, for sure. People should be going back and checking out the Horror Corridor anyway. Oh, thank there's, you. There's thank you. shows up there. They're all great to so go and check them out. And yeah, I had seen um, a member of some of these private chat room things that we have with these podcasters and I did see you posted that. And I'll be honest, I got a, I got a, a, a kind of half chub um, that's like oh more record or excellent um, which is difficult to do when you're as drunk as I am so there you go <laughs> nice that some, sometimes biology doesn't work the way you, you think it would and then sometimes it does uh, yeah we're going to be back in one month's time we're going to be discussing the Ooh. kill list some Can't people wait. argue Wheatley's best movie dude it's going to get like the conversation is going to get so dark so deep so oh. quick yes Cannot wait, cannot wait. But until then, uh, make sure you check out the other shows on the podcast Under the Stairs Collective. As of this month, we have put up the back catalogue of the first season of Doing the Nasty podcast, as well as later on this month, we will be dropping the first episode of the new season, looking at tier three in the nasty list, which is 82 movies. to be covered and a lot of them absolutely terrible Uh, some of them phenomenal but most of them absolutely terrible I'll be joined with the great Mark Ball for that one Chronicle will also be making its return my little jaunt through subgenres of European horror cinema uh, kicking off with some good old fashioned folk horror and taking you way way back in the way way back machine to the 60s in the UK for a little movie called Whistle and I'll come to you which has one of my favourite scenes in horror cinema of all time nice short episode so hopefully you'll check that one out as well as the podcast under the stairs which is doing its thing over on the other feed but until then ladies and gents please take care of yourselves out there and from Duncan McLeish and Mr Watson on Opera Omnia season one we will speak to you in one month's time for Kill List bye everyone (laughs) 